Hey, how are you doing? You okay? Anybody exhausted? I'm crackerjacked. I don't know about you. Has it been a heavy end of the year? Anyone else? So I don't know if I'm preaching to you or preaching to me, but I'm going to talk about things like rest and peace and Sabbath today. Is that all right? I, I figure maybe some of us, and I'm preaching to myself, I kind of broke some of my own rules in November. I think I had three weeks without a day off. And uh, that's just, that's, that is zero to boast about. I'm confessing my sin to you. Uh, you get into a funny, weird place when you boast about how many hours you do. Understand, from, from all of your friends back to you, we don't admire you when we say that. <laughs> we think, well, get control of your life, dude, right? Is that okay? So everybody say it to me, get control of your life, dude. Exactly. You're allowed to say that. Because um, sometimes we can end up in a bit of a, a society where we're, we're kind of trying to outwork each other and exhaust each other. Um, I've got a couple of great phrases, a couple of great statements. Let's see if I can find them here. Um, Dallas Willard was one of the great kind of Christian philosophers of our time. And he said, listen to this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Wow. John Altberg says this, hurry is not just a sign of a disordered schedule. It's the sign of a disordered heart. Wow, pretty intense. We live in a, a funny age. You know, I, I can't remember what the proper line is. I was thinking of it during the worship, but there's this thing about, you know, do fish know what water is? Do, do they know they're in it? Do you know what I mean? Oh, one fish says to another, the water isn't very good, and the other one goes, what's water? You know, you, you're kind of in this thing, and you don't even know you're in it. Many of us, we're all in this aquarium of life not even knowing how subtly and powerfully the way the world moves is affecting us and actually many are today beginning to see that the way we have designed life and for most of us that's a default thing not an on purpose thing it's just the way life comes at us and subtly what we expect from life is not very compatible with a spiritual life walking with Jesus we don't just want the purpose of Jesus, we need to learn the pace of Jesus. Anybody? Um, working life has changed a lot over the last hundred years. Uh, Henry Ford, when he started the first production lines with real intensity, he was losing so many workers that he had to employ about 80,000 people just to keep 10,000 on the production line because that generation hated the production line. You were taking craftsmen who would make something beautiful and then said to them, so we just want you to turn a wrench 8,000 times a day. And they literally, the Ford workers, rioted over the production line. Do you know what he did? He doubled all of their pay and they went quiet. Meaningless life has a price. And we began to live for more meaningless things when God made us to be meaningful and restful and to truly live life. They were thinking 50 years ago that by now robots will be doing everything and we would all be working very short weeks and enjoying everything and enjoying each other and enjoying life and putting meaning in and having adventures and exploring. But instead, we actually said we'll work harder for more money instead, please. Um, and life comes at us in this. Do we know the water that we're swimming in? This is the water that we live in every day. Anybody know what I mean? 
um, work and hurry and hustle has kind of become the water that we swim in. And another side, and, and we'll, then we'll try and address these two in a few ways this morning. Because I hope, I'm thinking December, maybe we need a little bit of time to reflect. So I don't know about you, I don't feel like my 2019 was very well organized. So I look back going, okay, we ran at some good stuff and there was some stuff that I, I felt I needed to do and I'm glad about that, but I want to be more thoughtful about 2020. So I kind of figure I can share some of that adventure with you because if I'm feeling it, someone else in the room must be too. You've got to live thoughtfully. Um, so one side is work and hustle and hurry. That's the water we swim in. There's another side too that's affecting us and even science isn't quite sure what it's going to do to us. Um, but let me use this story to explain it. Martin Luther King, um, at one point in, in his life, he, he was imprisoned for driving 30 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. In other words, they had it out for him. And he was in a bit of a, a mess. Life was getting very difficult with the justice that he was uh, running after. Uh, not Martin Luther King, the other one, Martin Luther. No, Martin Luther King. Good, thank you for helping me. Martin Luther King, I am right. It's the tiredness speaking. I always get mixed up between the two. Anyway, you know which one I mean. I had a dream, that guy. Okay, I, I think I need a dream. Anyway, um, and, uh, and he got back home and he was in a moment of despair and quietness, just ready to give up. And in the silence, he heard God say, Martin Luther King, stand up for justice. Stand up for what is right. Stand up for what is good. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. And of course, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, went on to do all that he did. Um, here's the question I heard posed this week, because I've been kind of studying this whole subject this week. It's a great little line. Think of this. What, in Mar what if Martin Luther King had an iPhone? 70% of adults reach for their phones today. That's an actual stat in a moment of boredness and quietness. And we fill every silent down moment with something to do. I'm nearly 50 years old. I can remember what it was like to say to mum, I'm so bored. And anybody remember that era? And they'd say ridiculous things. Sorry, mother. They'd say ridiculous things like this. Well, go and run around in the fresh air. <laughs> do you need to come through? Just come through. It's all right. Do a little dance as you go. It's okay. That's, uh, thank you so much. One day we'll have a hall where the entrance isn't at the front. It'll be amazing. It'll be miraculous. Um, imagine if Martin Luther had an iPhone and in that moment of depression or down or just like many, 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 the majority in this day of the smartphone, which has made us rather dumb, reach for our phone in the moments of quietness, the moments of stillness. And psychologists are still trying to work out what a generation who don't know what it is to pause in their day regularly and no silence. Work, hustle, hurry. The other thing is the constant white noise and information overload that we live in. What is it doing to our spirits and our souls? We're not very good at pausing and stopping and just listening to God in the quiet moments. Some even get itchy about it and a bit, oh, it's, it's gone quiet. Charismatic churches can't have quiet moments. There's something powerful. All those little moments of silence, perhaps in some of them, greatness is waiting. 
but instead we scroll, we like, we flick, we message, we WhatsApp, and we are so full of information. We hate silence, but God talks in a whisper. It's quite a thought, isn't it? I don't know about you, I want to make sure and I want to protect the silence in, in my life. So let me talk about some things around this. Is that okay? Here's the first one. We need to know the Prince of Peace. Peace is a person. And to have that peace in our hearts comes from encountering Jesus. One great theologian was asked, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would it be? I wonder what you would think. I don't know. Greatness, holy. And this great theologian thought for a while, paused, and then he said, relaxed. Is your Jesus relaxed? My Jesus is quite relaxed. In fact, he's normally trying to slow me down. I literally remember walking fast-paced through town, a little bit like an egg, going to the shops by the sounds of it, and I'm just going to do the thing I'm there to do, and I'm trying to get in, and I'm trying to get out, and, and, and I'm, I'm just going for it. And, and then I, I, I can hear this, this whisper from heaven, slow down. Slow down, What's, and, I, and I slowly slow my pace down. I can feel that God is trying to get my attention, and I walk slightly slower and slightly slower. And it, well, how slow do you want me to walk, Lord? Slow down until you feel my presence again. And we need to recapture the slow walk with Jesus. Um, I remember one time, it was, a, it was a Thursday morning, and I was having a little moment of prayer before the day started and I remember being in a vision essentially and I met Jesus and he had wrapped in his arms something and I'm, I'm like what's what's in these arms in this in this vision and I, I pulled it back and there in his arms was a baby and I was single at the time I said to, to God well I, I don't want a baby thank you very much you know I really did not want a baby at that time and then he said to me no this is your spirit I'm like oh so my mind's beginning to search for scriptures and what do you mean by that that's just how I was brought up you just hang on a minute what's going on here and then I began to think of scriptures like the the spirit that he put inside of us causes us to cry Abba Father it's it's the most basic level language I think the first thing that Zach ever said because it's harder to say mama I hope you realize that it's easier to say dada that's why most kids say dada as their first word well, I'm convinced he did anyway. It kind of, you know, I, I, he said my name, you know. The kingdom comes to the childlike. And Jesus, in that vision, began to talk to me about, don't take this spiritual thing and abuse it to make it something sophisticated. I know you're the kind of guy... Jared, that wants a business card that says, you know, man of God, lion tamer, all those sorts of things on it. But actually, God wants us to be children in his care, enjoying him and walking with him every moment of every day. If we get to know the Prince of Peace, we will know peace. Think of it. We are not trying to live to attain some kind of fullness. 
That's where the world lives at. That's why people overwork. They think just a bit more money, just a a better house, a better car, whatever, just more of something and I will be more fulfilled. And every time they attain it, it, it's interesting for a moment, then goes away. But do you know that the Christian life is completely different? The Bible says that once you've come to him, you are already complete in him. It says you have everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him. It says you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're super blessed. All you have to do is access what he's already given you. And for most of us, that requires a little bit of slowing down until we find the pace where we realize his goodness is running after, running after me. I wonder if his goodness is running after us because we're running around too much. And if you slowed down, his goodness would catch up with you. There's goodness waiting for you, this blessing, this peace, this harmony, this fulfillment, this contentment waiting for us when we slow down and learn to live life God's way. Theologians for the first three or four hundred years after Jesus died and was resurrected and went back to heaven, they argued about what it all meant. That was essentially what the big theme of of church history was in those first three or four hundred years. It was all about what does it mean? Jesus came, Jesus died, born of a virgin, rose again. What do all these things mean? But you realize from about three or four hundred years in, right onwards, even up to today, the, the, the The conversation has largely all been about, with St. Patrick, with Augustine, with all these great people, up to the Reformation, they basically argued about how can we create life that abides in him? That's where you get people like Francis of Assisi and Augustine, all these. The great conversation was not, what does it mean that he died and rose again? The great conversation became, how do I abide in him and live out of the fullness of the goodness that he's already provided? And modern life fights against that. Because his goodness comes to some kind of stillness or rest in our hearts. Some faith, some trust, some unburdening of ourselves and saying, Oh God, you, I, I'm living dependent on you. I'm not trying to become something. I am something. I'm loved. And I'm going to live out of that love and out of that peace. I think somehow we need to get back to the great conversation of, so how do we, in 2020, abide in him? Hello. How do we abide in him and enjoy him forever? Listen to these verses. Oh, oh, sorry, Darren. Wrecking the joint there. John 15. Listen to this from the Passion Version. And this is Jesus talking and he says, I am, it's John 15 verses 5 to 8, I am the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he's discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burnt. But if you live, listen to this phrase, in life union... Wow, I love it. If you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your life bears abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Abiding in him is what it's all about. There was an old English phrase used to talk about this sense of developing a life that abides in him. And the... the, the, 
the word was this, rule of life. What these guys were doing, St. Patrick, Augustine, people like that, the reformers, they were talking about a rule of life. Now, it doesn't mean rules for living. That's quite, it's not like 10 commandments or 10 ways to live. It's more this, the word rule of life, which is an old English phrase, literally means rule or ruler. And it was also the same word for trellis. That's why I've got that picture there. Something that a vine grows up. What's your life growing up? It needs some intentional structure so it grows properly. And they were saying and finding all kinds of different ways to say, how can I design my life, not through rules, but simply intentionality, so that I walk with God and enjoy God and his goodness flows into me so that fruit flows out of me. A rule of life. A beautiful word that I've heard used this week for this is formation. There are decisions that we can make that will form us into more and more beautiful people in Christ. Because it's a great question, isn't it? Just to pause kind of this time of year and ask, so am I growing in God or have I stalled? And essentially modern life can stall you Because while you know information, it's not forming your heart properly. Or it's overwhelmed by other information. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the weeds and all those sorts of things coming and and choking what God wants to do in you. But if we have a, a chosen intentional way of living that then the life of God can grow up, we can live a powerful life. The reality is that Everything in life that we do is forming us. Literally creating neural pathways in our mind. Every thought, every conversation, the people we hang out with, every scroll, every like, every... Of course, course tech is a huge piece with this when it comes to the noise of life, isn't it? It, Tech is designed to fill our lives with noise. It's designed to be addictive. Box sets, just one more. Anybody sat there till two? Just one more episode of 24, do you know what I mean? going back a bit if you know any good box sets let me know but these things are designed to be addictive why because we live in an attention economy with social media do you realize you are not the customer you are the product and they are selling your attention and your information so they want to make you addicted so that they've got good statistics to then sell advertising to advertisers and companies. When you use social media, and I use social media, I'm not against it, but you are the product, not the customer. And they are buying and causing your attention to be addicted to it. But here's here's the ultimate question, because it's neither right nor wrong, okay? Everything you do is forming you. If you live a life that doesn't have a moment where we no longer pause in the coffee queue and just think, we grab the phone and scroll. Or we we no longer sit and just contemplate over a coffee and stare out the window. What are you thinking about? Vicky's really good at this. She's the only woman I've ever met that when you say, what are you thinking about? She'll go, absolutely nothing. I'm like, wow, that's... Because it's normally men that are like, oh, I'm I'm not thinking. And it's the woman that goes, I'm thinking of a load of things that you need to get sorted. Have we lost our ability to gaze and pause? Are we scared of silence and therefore we medicate ourselves with constant scrolling and constant watching and noise in the background and we, we don't want to hear the sound of our own souls anymore? 
what is that doing to you? I'll tell you what it's doing biologically. Every act is forming a biological pathway in your brain. Every word, people you hang with, everything you do. We talk about spiritual disciplines, or as some prefer the word, spiritual formations. Everything is forming you. But listen, not just your prayer life. You can't say that your prayer life is spiritual, but your friendships are just practical. No, everything is forming you biologically and spiritually. Every conversation you have, everything you repeatedly do, how often you watch, how often you scroll, how you interact, whether or not you gossip, whether you think more, the more you think in faith, literally faith pathways are being biologically laid in your brain. But if you, why are you a worrier? Well, because one day you laid the first path of fear and worry, but then you laid it again the next day. Then you laid it again at three in the morning and we have taught ourselves, we are formed into who we are by what we repeatedly do. Habit eats intention for breakfast. Who we just repeatedly are. And what's gonna happen to a generation that have no moments when they just sit there and going, I'm just enjoying being bored because I figure God talks really quietly and I need to get used to quietening me. Maybe this December we can quieten ourselves down. I know some saying it's a really busy season. Well, I'm aiming for it to be a little bit quieter and emptier than the rest of the year because I need to hear me a little bit and then I got some hope of hearing God a little bit. Anybody know what I mean? This one, it's in Psalm 131, I think it is. I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child. In other words, child, what you were hankering for, I've taught you to hanker in a more mature way. I know you need stuff, but I've taught you, soul, how to have the stuff you need, but in a grown-up way. You're not a weaned child just screaming every time you want more milk. You, you got meal times. It's controlled, it's intentional, it's thought through. Does that make sense? We wean our souls and we teach them to quieten and to slow down. Um, hmm. Let me talk about just two things then before I finish. You getting something from this? What's your spiritual life growing up? It's not just your prayer life or your Bible reading life, but it's growing up every conversation, every interaction, every scroll, everything we watch, everything we do. I want my life to grow up an intentional trellis that says I'm getting closer to God. Am I a more loving man than a year ago? I should be. If I'm not, if I've stalled, I need to look at my, the trellis, the ways that I'm living and live better. Little things. I mean, well, let's, 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 let's do a couple. Number one, let's see if it's up there. Sabbath. Oh, everybody take a deep breath. Now for some, the concept of Sabbath, I mean, did anybody grow up in the church in the 70s here? Where, come on, give me a little wave. Oh, not that many of us. Okay, well, let's tell you what, this, what Sabbath, the concept of Sabbath was like in our brethren-esque 70s people here. Okay, it was that you didn't go to the cinema. 
You know, it was the one day you couldn't, we used to have Wimpy in those days. We didn't have Wimpy anymore. Now it's McDonald's and Burger King, but we used to have Wimpy in those days. And I remember once being in church, and I must have been under seven, because I, I kind of, I must have pulled on my mum's skirt tails in the presence of the pastor and go, can we go to Wimpy? And the pastor responded, on Resurrection Day, do you know what I mean? It was, it was all about being austere. Whereas actually, Jesus' concept of the Sabbath, which he practiced, was a concept where it's stopping, resting, delighting, worshipping. It's filling you up but not by stern frugal emptiness but rather the joy of life I mean they did some of the best things you could do as a Jew in those days they did the equivalent of go to the cinema sit around have a little prayer time eat a a cracking great meal they even cooked all the meals they used microwave oven meals essentially in those days they had to cook it all before the Sabbath happened why so mum didn't have to work in those days Everybody got a rest. And listen, this is, this, what does this do to you? To slow down and to stop. Sabbath literally means to cease. Even God, one day a week, in creation, right? He taught Adam, just stop. Down tools. Cease work. Here's something for some of the busy-minded ones in the room. And cease all thought of work. You cannot just think and strive and hanker continuously. Pause and be thankful. Rest. Rest your mind, rest your emotions, rest your body, rest your relationship. Just rest. Delight. I heard this lovely phrase. On the Sabbath, we should be feeding our souls on beauty. Ooh. Come on, three people got it. On the Sabbath, in an ugly world, you need a day a week when you say, you know what, I'm not going to watch news. on this. I'm going to start switching the TV off and what, not watching news. Why? Because I get enough ugliness through my week. What would a day a week, I'm throwing out suggestions here, okay, this isn't law. But I'm saying we need to think like this because this is how Jesus, our master, thinks. Take 24 hours in your seven-day week and just think of beauty. Nourish your soul on the beauty of God, on the beauty of art, on the beauty of the countryside, on the beauty of a carvery, at the red sails. There's a concept called pleasure stacking, which is when you pick pick six things that you just love and look forward to. With me, it always involves food. It involves people I like. It involves going to places I like. And this is what the Sabbath should be like. You should be pleasure stacking on the Sabbath. It's not a frugal day of boredom. It's a day when you stack up things that are both spiritual and just purely enjoyable. And you put them all together and you go, I am going to have a day when I replenish and I recollect and we reconnect as a family. And in the midst of all that, we praise God and we love God and we're grateful for all that we've got. And we worship him for his goodness in our lives. What would one day out of seven do to our family? If we said today we're going to eat together, I mean we do always in our family anyway, but I know some work all kinds of hours where that's harder. What if there was a day a week? What would it do to us? But we said no. Now, this isn't old-fashioned Christianity. This is one of the Ten Commandments that was punishable by death when you broke it. That's how important he thinks rest is. Because if not, you don't know the water that you're swimming in. And you do spiritual things, but you've stalled in your heart. You're not more loving. You're not more close to God. You're grumpier with the people around about you. You're not as centered as able to cope with life. 
You need rest. And I know these days our idols don't tend to come carved and in temples with candles around. They're more subtle and they affect our hearts in more subtle ways. But it can be idolatry that I can keep going. I don't need this thing called rest. I can see all the young mums looking at me like now, slightly cross-eyed, going, just shove off. (laughs) There are definitely seasons when it's harder, right? Without a doubt. (laughs) It's like every time I preach about quiet times, all the young mums look at me like, shove off, you know. Do you know God gets all that? So in other words, it's not pristine. Sabbath isn't pristine. It's also for the mess of life. But what if we aimed to be more rested and thoughtful in the way that God designed life to be? Sabbath is a miraculous concept. You know, there was a revival in Filey, not far from here, quite some years ago, an incredible revival. And when it was a strong fishing village and and lots of the fishermen got saved and this was big argument because they used to fish seven days a week but now the ones that came to Christ decided we're not going to fish on the Sabbath and the others were like we can't afford to give up a day's fishing but all the Christian fishermen who decided not to fish on the Sabbath they caught more in six days than the others caught in seven Sabbath is miraculous this concept you just pause rest be together talk again in the presence of God and be grateful. It's a day to teach our souls not to hanker, but rather to be grateful. It's not a day to sit and think, what more do I want? It's a day to pause and say, I'm thankful for what I've got. Does something, gratitude rewires you. It's forming you in the way that we think. Stopping, resting, delighting and worshiping. In the, uh, in the French Revolution, they, uh, they tried a 10-day working week. Mental illness pl- uh, went through the roof, not plummeted, went through the roof. Suicide went through the roof. It wasn't long before they reverted back to a seven-day week. This, you know, East, West, Christian, whatever, all parts of the world, not particularly affected by by that little area of the world called Israel and and this Bible and things like that. All over the world, they discovered a seven-day working week is the right one biologically for your body. Every seven days, you need catch-up sleep. You know, Sabbath, you're supposed to lie in. Again, all the young mums are looking at me. You can catch up in about seven years' time, all right? We need it. Is this keyboard on, Douglas? There was a, a composer who had a kind of young tearaway son and he used to come in drunk two in the morning and he didn't get on with his dad, his, his composer dad very well at all. And he wanted to irritate his dad when he got in in the evening and he, he knew what to do. He would go into the study downstairs while dad was lying upstairs and he would, he would just do this. Go turn it up. Oh, hang on, here we go. That's it. And he knew his composer dad would lie there going, he hasn't finished the scale. He hasn't finished the scale. He had, and dad would have to come all the way down the stairs and come up to the piano and go. There's a cycle to it. Your life has a cycle. 
many of us, we never finish the scale. And we're so used to swimming in this water, just kind of hanging on spiritually. We live with this low-grade anxiety and low-grade depression. It's because we're swimming in water that we haven't really analysed and gone, well, what, how am I living? How am I scrolling and watching and thinking and interacting? It's affecting us. You've got to finish the cycle and have a day to stop and go, God, thank you. I worship you. Isn't that a beautiful painting? Isn't this beautiful countryside? Kids, let's play. Let's eat a meal we love. Let's do something we enjoy. And let's put a bit of beauty into our week because so often for many of us, the week can be a bit ugly. You need a day a week to feast your soul on beauty. Otherwise, your soul becomes jaundiced and a little bit lost. And the last one, and I'm nearly finishing. (laughs) This is a good one for Pentecostals. Silence. We're not all that good at silence. Like I say, I think many of us don't want to hear the sound of our own souls. And so we medicate in all sorts of ways, but one of the ways is the continual noise and hustle and hurry and the kind of strange reverence for over-busyness that we have. When I find, whenever I'm in it, I go, okay, uh, yeah, long hours, I'm not really revering them. They're actually getting in the way of the paced walk that I want to have with God. Jesus often withdrew to lonely, quiet places and prayed. It's not that we need to go and live in a monastery, but in order to live in the hustle and bustle of the real world, we've got to give ourselves quietness and space to be alone with God, to hear the sound of our own hearts. But let's be honest, a lot of us in this day and age, we don't like silence. Silence is a little bit weird. Pentecostal churches are terrible at it. And just go, just be still. But the voice of God, the great things of our lives are waiting in silent places. We don't like silence very much. You know, NASA astronauts have to be trained to cope with the silence of space. It is so silent, you can hear your skin moving over your muscles. You can hear your tendons creaking. You can hear your intestines churning. You can hear everything. You can hear the blood pumping through your veins. And so you need to be trained so it doesn't send you mad. We're not very good with silence. I don't mean that silent. But I do mean the ability to pause... Maybe to be intentional, we need to start saying things like, you know what? I mean, what, what would it do? What would it do? This just shows the addiction level, okay, of how modern society has washed us. To say, you know what? For a week, I'm just going to turn off my phone. Went very quiet in this Presbyterian church then, really. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine it? And almost the slight raising of tension in your heart then is proof that you're medically addicted to it. You are medically addicted to your phone and social media. Now, it's not that it's bad, just, just like food isn't bad, gluttony is bad. Technology can be immensely powerful. I did a post the other week, about two weeks ago, that was seen by over 300,000 people. I'm like, this has got influence, it's got reach, it's, you can use it for mission. But also I'm aware that I have to take Facebook off my phone. I keep it on other device. I'll keep it on my laptop, but not on my phone. Otherwise I know I just get fiddly whenever I'm in a queue, anybody. I just can't pause for anything. I get all, you know, I mean, it might as well be nicotine. And as we're filling 
All these little moments. What about, so I hear of people these days saying for a day a week, for, I can't remember what it was, a week, a, a quarter, for a month, a year, whatever. I, I know some of us, our jobs revolve around the phone a little bit, so you have to work it out, but buy yourself a brick. Do you know what I mean? You know, a dumb phone. You won't die from lack of connectivity, but you will die from lack of connectivity to God. In fact, you're dead already, probably. Or gasping for breath, unaware that, why am I living? I'm a Christian. I go to a church that believes in faith. I mean, we're not just nominal Christians. We believe in the God of miracles. So why do I live with low-grade anxiety? I haven't thought about the rule of life, the trellis that my spirituality is growing up. I'm just kind of going at life. How's about this December we think about work and hurry and technology, what we watch, how much time we spend doing really healthy things that are good for our souls. One of them being silence. What if we went silent? What would it do? I've stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child. Just imagine it, if Martin Luther King had had an iPhone and in his depressed moment he was scrolling instead of silent. I wonder how often the voice of God, is it Revelation 3, end of, I stand at the door and I knock. But we got our headphones in. You're loving this this morning, aren't you? Half of you are. It's not about not using these things. It's about controlling them and them not controlling you. Because your soul needs Sabbath. And your soul needs silence. And we need to think, how is my life forming me? God, would you give us wisdom as we go into 2020 that we would walk the right pace that we would be formed as godly people into the image of Christ, that we wouldn't just swim in the water that we find ourselves in, but rather we would thoughtfully build a rule of life, a way of living, a trellis, a structured, the intentional way of living that our spirituality can grow up onto. God, make us thoughtful people, capable people, growing in the things of God. Amen and amen.